want to thank all of our listeners for several years of dedicated and loyal listening throughout the Halo Talks 400 podcast completed to date. We're going to 1,000 by 2024. If you're so inclined, we'd love to have you go to iTunes for us, fill out a review so we can keep this podcast rolling globally. We are now on Chartable's top lists and moving up the charts. Also, if you want to educate yourself in the new year, please go to thehaloacademy.com. Take a look at what we've done with 150 executives in the Halo sector to get them smarter, get them prepared for capital raises, and also more winning. Thanks. Have a great season. Let's go. This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks. I'm here today with Isaiah Saeed. He's coming from Long Island City. That is one of my favorite places in the five boroughs. We're going to talk about mend.me, building a business, making a play, and raising money round after round to further the vision. So give us your background on why you got into this and uh, what opportunity you saw originally and what the frustration that you're solving. Yeah, and thank you, Pete, for having me. Um, so round actually closed. So happy to report that we're, we're through. <laughs> thank you through Series A, which in this environment, as you know, is is no small feat. Um, look, I uh, you know always been kind of an athlete and been in the world of kind of fitness and health um, from a recreational perspective. I played at kind of national level of basketball in Canada and played a bunch of sports uh, professionally you know, in kind of innovation and and technology. And through a series of health events in family, uh, mom in a number of years uh, got cancer. Unfortunately, we just found out um, just yesterday, just yesterday's Wednesday, that it has reemerged after 15 years. Um, so just kind of living through that. Um, my brother, who owns three physical therapy practices in New York, um, had a very serious fall from a waterfall in upstate New York, and I had a set of injuries. And I started to reflect on kind of the level of care that we got or didn't get in some of the gaps in, um, in, in kind of the model. And in my particular instance, my, my injury was very slow to heal and you know, we're all getting injured, uh, acute injuries and we're all breaking down. And I went back to my podiatrist and asked him the question as to why my, my healing was delayed. That was in nine, nine weeks, which should have been a five week kind of healing time frame. And he said, go home and rest. And I really started to think Pete about, um, and she's a mind nutritionally compromised. Is that kind of slow down the healing? And there's a huge body of literature and science around that. And yet the MDs were completely unaware. And, and the guidance being provided online was go and eat these 15 foods, which is totally impractical. And so that was the aha is, wait a second, um, the body is high, operating in higher metabolic demand. It's, it needs the resources to fuel the healing process and the immune response. And yet nobody's telling me this in the medical community. Nobody told my mom in the cancer setting. Nobody told my brother and, you know, the, the 10 surgeries he had to repair his body. And that was really the kind of the genesis of the firm. Gotcha. And then what did you do to seek out partners or uh, scientists to basically put this, you know, ingredient mix together? And is it customizable or are there certain ailments or treatments that, you know, are, are, tied together? Well, the first thing I did was I needed to validate that my aha was real uh, and that it wasn't imaginary in my head. So I went and spoke to anyone that I could speak to in the New York medical and nutrition community. 
got access to Dr. Marks at Hospital for Special Surgery through my brother, uh, you know, I had a relationship with him. When I spoke to him in person, he was very gracious to take my meeting. I said, look, is this a real thing? And he was nodding his head. I said, absolutely. Then I, I met some dietitians that are kind of nationally acclaimed, Lauren Antonucci and Nadi Skolnick, um, who are both in New York City and, and went met with them. And they, they nodded their heads. So I was universally getting the nodding heads and I knew there was something here. And so that formed the basis for uh, developing a, uh, a scientific advisory board with Heidi and Lauren and Dr. Marks and others to really think about the pathways that we wanted to hit. And because, uh, you know, my intention was always to develop an evidence-based platform. That if I got into, to get into mainstream medicine, we needed this to be developed like a pharma with a level of scientific rigor that uh, would be accepted by the medical community. And so we, we developed our formulation and we go through a very rigorous process, a very pharma-like process to develop what I'll call natural medicines, quote unquote, we call Nutri-Pharma that lives in a class in between pharma and supplements. We don't even use the word supplements. We call this Nutri-Pharma because you'll see from us randomized published trials, you know, placebo-controlled trials. Uh, you'll see biopsy studies. You'll see a variety of things being done that typically aren't done in the dietary supplement world. And we think that's what's... Um, allowed us to get the adoption in the medical community and then in professional sports and, you know, the athletic world. To answer your second question around, you know, what, what goes into a formulation and are they all the, kind of the same or is there specific for specific indications? It's, it's the latter. Um, we look at endpoints. So a product that's designed for a concussion and support concussion recovery is going to be very different than a product designed for a ECL or a, you know, a total knee replacement. And so we really work with the MDs to say, what are the problematic endpoints that you're seeing? So in a concussion, there are certain protein markers that are inflated and up. There are certain inflammatory markers inflated and up. And so we want to try to manage those and we look for compounds that can really address those specific endpoints. So each one of the formulations is very specific to the indication. So using this term Nutra-Pharma, uh, is, is there an approval process for that or is that something you came up with? The, the term itself is not something we invented. So if you were to Google it, it's out there. It's not commonly utilized. So this is not a technical sort of term that the FDA utilizes. We live within dietary supplement uh, FDA rules. So we have to abide by everything that the FDA has uh, set out as rules for dietary supplements. There's a misconception out there that, you know, this is kind of completely the Wild West and the FDA doesn't regulate it. It is regulated by the FDA. The words that you can use, the language you can use, the claims that you can make, the compounds that you can use are all FDA regulated. Now, it doesn't go through a drug approval process. You don't need you know, four phases of clinical trials. Okay. So as long as you're using what's called generally accepted or uh, generally recognized as safe. So the FDA is a class of compounds that says are grass and you live in dietary supplement worlds, but you have to abide by body regulations. So we still live in that. But because of the level of scientific rigor in our products, we're calling it Nutri-Pharma and not. Got it. So at the same time that you're doing this type of analysis, research, efficacy, you're also building a consumer brand at the same time, correct? We are. We are, um, you know, very heavy in the medical community and in parallel, um, very thoughtfully because the you know, consumer world is full of so much noise very thoughtfully thinking about, you know, which products lend themselves to a consumer audience. So we have a product that really stands out in inflammation. 
And so we know, you know, for your gym audience and your, your trainers, et cetera, that's a key, key thing that you want to hit. And we have a product that really just stands out in that world. And so that's something that we are actively building out in the consumer audience. We have more specialized solutions that really only lend themselves to a professional medical audience. For example, we have a product that's taken perioperatively in, in the total joint replacement space. Now that obviously doesn't belong in a gym or doesn't belong in a direct-to-consumer model, but that only goes through our B2B, B2C sort of consumer healthcare model. So for other entrepreneurs that are listening to this and understanding the distribution points, how are you guys set up to serve these products up where it's like, okay, is a doctor allowed to recommend this? Are they allowed to be an affiliate? Can they get a referral fee? How does that part work? And then are there other products that are going down the professional line and also show up in, you know, with Dwayne Reed? Yeah. So, so let me start with the first one. Um, there are kind of three sets of rules that physicians need to comply by to be compliant with all rules and not fall under you know, violation of star clause, et cetera. And yes, they, the answer is yes, they can recommend supplements. So the, the first is there needs to be a scientific basis and merit for the recommendation. So if you're an orthopedic surgeon and you're recommending a joint replacement product because it accelerates healing and return to function, there's a scientific, and it's backed by clinical data and science, that there's a scientific merit for that. If you're an orthopedic surgeon and you're recommending hair supplements, that doesn't fall into that, you know, that, that, uh, that qualification criteria. So scientific merit for the recommendation. Uh, one needs to have a disclosure of financial interest in the, uh, in the recommendation if the doctor is receiving some sort of a, you know, a fair market value share or revenue from that particular product. And it, it must be, I should say, it should be a cash pay and not a reimbursed product. And then the third is um, the physician can't be the sole distributor of that product. So the patient needs to be able to buy it elsewhere. So as long as those three criteria are met, it's very common for medical practitioners to be utilizing Nutrapharma in their, um, in their scope of practice and within their kind of how they think about um, you know, patient care pathways. The answer to your second question with respect to will we live in medical as well as retail, uh, very selectively. So there are a couple of our products that straddle both. Now, we're not going to put them into a GNC or a vitamin shop. That's kind of not where we want to live currently. But we, you will see them available online through you know, a couple of our products. We'll be both in the medical channels as well as uh, you know, living online. At, you know, for example, we're in Kroger right now in their food as medicine section at Kroger Online. Um, so you'll see very selectively us do those types of things. So you spent a lot of time getting to the, to the right compounds, the right ingredients. When you see other companies out there making claims, you know, doing some cocktail mixes and, and doing either infomercials or, uh, you know, marketing that is clearly either deceptive or just completely, you know, uh, you know, not factually accurate. Uh, how do you, you can spend a lot of money on legal. You can spend a lot of money on, uh, you know, going after other companies or, or battling. How do you as an entrepreneur say, Hey, look, you know, at the end of the day, I know what we've built and, and, you know, the truth always, you know, the right side of history. However, there's a lot of money in the supplement space that has been around for a long time. 
in different iterations. So how do you think about that when you can spend a lot of money on legal or you can spend it on marketing and research? Yeah, we spend zero on legal. Uh, unless there is a trademark infringement or you know a patent infringement, we we don't put our energy into trying to shut down others. Maybe I'm a bit purist about this, Pete, but I believe if we build the science the right way and we get the right medical practitioners and the right caliber of clients on board advocating for us and giving us testimonials and what have you, that in the long run we will win. Um, and so if you, you know, kind of browse our website, you'll see some of the who's who of physicians and they're not on our payroll. We've never paid them for a testimonial. They're telling us their patients are utilizing our products and they're seeing an impact. Um, we've got the clinical data. We've got now 30 plus professional sports teams that just word of mouth use our products. We've never marketed to that population. And yet we've got, you know, the, you know, the most high caliber professional sports teams. The U.S. Special Forces utilize our products and, you know, the best doctors in the world. And if we stay down that path where our products are scientifically rigorous, um, you know, we've got a body of evidence. They're the highest quality. And, and that's the thing. There's just so much noise in the space that, you know, the average consumer is not going to know to look for things like, is the compound even in the right bioavailable amounts, in the right dosing to even have an efficacious effect? And many, most aren't, in fact. Now, if you actually look at the clinical data and say, you need 2.5 grams of this, and they're operating at like 300 milligrams, but they can say they have that compound on the bottle, the average person is not sophisticated enough to kind of go through all the data and look at that. And so that's why we're trying to create a new class, a class that really sits um, in, in, in and of itself, supported by doctors, endorsed by the most discerning clientele, and we think that strategy will, will, will win in the long run. When you take a look at, you know, what part of the business is recurring recovery and preventative versus something happened, um, like you said, you were nine weeks versus five weeks. You know, how much of it is related to, hey, this is your lifestyle, this is your routine, here's your Nutrapharma, and that's going to be until you try something new or you don't think it's working for you or you swear by it and you tell all your friends. Um, we just went to the pickleball, uh, us open. Um, there's a lot of workouts and there's a lot of workout recovery required for people that, uh, you know, basically their bodies, I, I say as a joke, is kind of an iPhone too. Um, and it needs, uh, it needs to be, uh, maintained properly. Um, uh, that's a recurring client, I would assume, uh, you know, for men. So how, how do you think about that? And also how do you not think about it and just say, Hey, look, I'm going to put it out there and whoever needs it for whatever reason, you know, I'm here for them. No, we're pretty deliberate about the design of our portfolio. So we've got a um, portion of our business that's kind of in the acute need state of things. So you've had an injury, you're about to have a surgery, you clearly have a need state there and we have a set of solutions that'll help accelerate and support healing and recovery. But then we have a daily use kind of maintenance portfolio set of products. So for example, we all know that low-grade chronic inflammation is something that leads to both musculoskeletal breakdown and, and problems, but also overall health challenges and problems. And so our product called Mendeley Inflammation is specifically designed to address low-grade systemic inflammation. So that's one example. We have another product called Men Control Glucose. We just completed a randomized trial on that. It supports the dozen or so randomized trials that came before it. And shows that we can lower blood sugar levels, we can lower A1C, improve insulin sensitivity. And 60 to 80% of the U.S. population 
will be pre-diabetic or diabetic by the end of this year. Blood sugar is one of the main drivers of illness where it's in, sugar is in all of our foods, blood sugar is out of control, and we need to manage it if we want to manage our health span and well span. And so that's a product that we use kind of on a daily, you know, daily basis. So we've segmented our portfolio that way so that we have a set of ongoing solutions for consumers. So for the entrepreneurs that are going through capital raises, and obviously this is not the, uh, the best time to be doing it or the easiest time to raise money. Um, how did you come up with the, the dollar amount and what kind of milestones did you put on that? Uh, sometimes you see rounds that I'm not really sure where they're going to spend the capital or why somebody actually put that money into their bank account uh, without actually, you know, saying, hey, Series A this is an experiment. Experiment went well, you get a Series B. So talk about how you and your team thought about what's digestible, what you want to accomplish, and then, you know, move forward from there. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's just a kind of back of envelope kind of math that one can do, right? You, the prevailing wisdom is you want to have about 18 to 24 months of a runway in your Series A to kind of prove out, as you've said, uh, you know, this experiment is, is truly scalable. And now you don't typically get to a Series A unless you've you've demonstrated that there's uh, you know product market fit and and opportunity to scale. So we've had to do that, right? We've had to show contracts and we've had to show client adoption and we've had to show the IP and all that kind of stuff. So uh, eighteen to twenty four months of kind of runway. Now you want to demonstrate that in Series B that you you're going to have to get to a level in terms of your evaluation that justifies selling another, you know, 10 to 20% of your company. And so you can kind of think about where the top line needs to be and where the valuation needs to be and kind of back into that math to say, where do I need to be in 18 to 24 months? And really, you got to start your raise well before that. You know, you got to start maybe at, at your 12-month mark or 14-month mark to show enough in your trajectory and your growth that you can be positioned to close at month 16 uh, for, your, for your series bay. And so that's kind of how the, kind of the logic all fits together. Got it. And if, if you're comfortable disclosing this, what were some of the biggest question marks or diligence items? You know, was it, can you penetrate the professional space? Was it, how much money do you need to compete with some of these larger entities that have a lot of marketing dollars and maybe, you know, slightly unethical that makes it a, a tougher, you know, playing field? Yeah, I think you respond on with the first question, which is, um, you know, can you enter the professional space? Now, the good thing is we were already standard of care on formulary at Geisinger, a leading health system. We're approved at the hospital for special surgery. So we had some track record there. But one of the questions was, you know, the pace of adoption and the rate at which healthcare moves, it's, it's really, you know, it's anemic. It's, it's incredibly slow. And so that was, you know, one of the key questions. You know, the, the investors are all interested in the same sets of questions. It's all around defensibility, proof proof of your market adoption and demand. It's around, uh, you know, do you have the right team? Uh, are you, do you have the right velocity in terms of, you know, the rate you're developing the market? Is the market big enough? And, and they go through, you know, they, they, they challenge you on all of those those fronts. Got it. Uh, last question on, on the raise, were there some key hires that you had earmarked that, you know, we're at this level we need this person or this, you know. Oh, absolutely. My, my investors asked me for our current org chart as well as planned org chart. And so one of the areas that they saw, you know, a real level of sophistication in my firm was we had 
full org charts planned with boxes open and identified and phases of hiring. So it's not like these are all the open boxes. We had a thoughtful plan in terms of this is phase one, this is phase two, this is phase three, this is how it's all going to roll out. And, and these are the milestones we have to hit to, to get to those numbers. And so that level of kind of thinking and planning, you know, just, just wins their confidence that you've done, you've done your thinking homework. That's great. So, um, last question for you, got any good business quotes or personal quotes that you, uh, live by or that, uh, people say, oh, you know, he says this all the time. You know, I mean, look, startups are, they're a grind. Um, and anyone that's been through one will tell you that it's, you know, the ultimate roller coaster ride. So, you know, I think, um, you know, grit is one of the key things, uh, grit and resilience is something that I always keep at the forefront of my awareness that every time you have a success, there's a challenge awaiting you uh, around the corner. And so, you know, I mean, today I did a, my brother signed me up for a cold plunge yesterday. Nice. And part of the, yeah, it's the first time that I did it, but, you know, part of the logic of the cold plunge the instructor was explaining was that you're putting yourself in an exceedingly uncomfortable environment and learning in that environment to activate your parasympathetic nervous system and, and, and getting yourself to a state of calm and that, to me, was a perfect kind of analogy for, you know, what one faces in the startup environment, because you're putting, you're going to put yourself in very, very, very challenging situations where your runway is uh, 60 days, your funding isn't closed, and you're having sleepless nights. And so it's building that muscle of resilience and grit, I think, is one of the, the really key things. The other thing I'll just share with your readers is I'm, or with your listeners, I'm sorry, is I'm reading currently uh, Peter Atia's book called Outlive. And he's talking in this book about the notion of medicine 3.0. And medicine 3.0 is, is kind of moving from, you know, treating you at the time of diagnosis to moving to a model where we get to you way before the diagnosis. So it's a proactive and preventative healthcare system that we all know that we need to get to, but we've really struggled to move to that model. And so I think everyone that is interested in health and wellness needs to think about medicine 3.0 and how do we get to you before the level of uh, diagnosis. Great. So, uh, look, love what you're doing. Um, big frustration. Uh, help people recover quicker, get rid of their pain, and get them back on the playing field. We did. Uh, we'll send you a book. We wrote a book called "Time to Win Again: Fifty Two Takeaways from Team Sports to Ensure Your Business Success." So, uh, a lot of what you're talking about here resonates uh, on multiple levels. So, welcome officially to the Halo Sector: Health, Active Lifestyle, Outdoors. Uh, if you hit some of the trade shows that we're at, we'll get uh, the bricks and mortar and trainers uh, on board with the uh, with the products here. And uh, well, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed the conversation and uh, look forward to look forward likewise. to hearing it and and staying connected so that we can all lift health together. Awesome, all right, man. Good stuff. Congrats on thank the read. Go get them. <laughs>